wrapping up our series called Family Matters. Uh, the first week I talked about uh, getting to the heart of your child. That we want to get to the heart of our children. Uh, God, obviously, uh, the Bible says that we love God because he first loved us. And that God's move towards us through the love of Christ. Man, that is a lot of J-12ers. Somebody give them a hand as they go back there and they receive from the Lord. Uh, that, that basically that God gave his son to get to our heart. God moved to us with love to get to our heart and draw us back to him. The Bible says that the kindness of God leads us to repentance. So God moved to us with love and drew us to him through that love by the power of the Holy Spirit, mind you. It's not even our own effort. The Bible says no man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. And so we don't even go to God by our own efforts. It's God that's working in our life and drawing us unto himself. Now, um, if you've ever had uh, children that are you know, they, they want to go their own way and do their own thing. Uh, there's an element of, of putting down, here's the law or here's the demands that you have, but that doesn't get to the heart of your child. Amen? And you can find a lot of uh, antagonistic behavior and, and conflict that goes on. Uh, while we need to have rules and we need to have those boundaries, the reality is if we don't get to the heart of our children, we have not won them in relationship. Can you say amen? And so it's very important to get to the heart of our children. Now, I want to give you the, the key scriptures I've been reading for this series, and uh, it's out of Proverbs 4.23. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Last week, I said that it is every parent's responsibility to guard their children's heart until they have been equipped, or they have equipped them to guard it themselves. We think about getting to the heart of our child. We want to get to their heart so that their heart can be kept in a, in a tender, loving, uh, truthful state, if you will. We don't want them to be in a place of deception. We don't want them to be in a place of hurt or woundedness. We want to guard their heart and keep them until they're able to keep their heart on their own. And in Proverbs 1, 8 through 9 was more so the admonition to uh, children where it's concerned. And that is, my child, listen when your father corrects you. Don't neglect your mother's instruction. What you learn from them will crown you with grace and be a chain of honor around your neck. Basically, you want to set your kids up for success. The greatest way to do that is to give that, the, the correction and to give the instruction as parents to them and for children to listen to the instruction and listen and receive the correction of their mother and father. Amen? And in that I said... It is every child's responsibility to respect their parents' role of authority until they can govern themselves. Now, one of the things I talked about a good bit was the fact that as kids are growing up, they're hitting those teen years, you know, they believe that they're grown up. Come on now. Some of you young people, give me a hand here. You know what I'm talking about. It's kind of like you want to make your own decisions, right? You want to do your own thing. You want to go your own way. You want to get your own car. You want to get your own house. You, you know, you want to go do all those things and have all those freedoms, reality is is that as kids hit those teen tween and teen years and they want to do that and then into the the young 20s if you will it's like I want to do my thing but they they can sometimes make a mess because uh, they, they'll make mistakes how how many adults in here grown-ups parents how many made mistakes in your life give me an amen if you made mistakes how many are still making mistakes give me an amen and so the whole thing is is when our kids say I know what I'm doing it's like 
trust me, you have no idea what you're doing. I am 45 or 46, actually I turned 47 yesterday, and I'm 47 years old and I still don't know everything and I'm still making mistakes and all I want to do is set you up for success. That's why I give you instruction. That's why I give you correction. God does that for us. We're going to see that in a little bit uh, as we go through this message and finish up this series that God gives all those things to us through his word. And, and, and as parents, we get to the heart of our child, and if we can deposit the Word of God, if we can deposit those values in them, what happens is, is they actually have, they have an ability to make those judgment calls on their own and succeed. And even in their mistakes, they'll know how to turn back to God, turn to God, and seek Him for help. Because how many of you know that God is the one that can help us succeed more than anybody else in our life? Look, I... Uh, my wife and I have worked very hard in our kids' life to help them succeed, but, but I know this, setting them up with a faith in God, a trust in God, a relationship with God, a knowledge of His Word is the greatest help we have ever given our children. It's the greatest hope we've ever given to our children, that they would know how to turn to God and seek His counsel, seek His advice, seek His guidance in their life. Amen? Um, so with that, the first week again, uh, some of the things I gave to you about getting to the heart of your child is, is five things I said that's important where it comes to getting to the heart of your child. The first one was loving them. Love them in the good times and the hard times. Challenge them. You're not their friend. You're their parent. It, means, it doesn't mean you don't have to be friendly, but you're not their BFF. You are their parent. You're the one that's going to have conflict with them as they transition into adulthood. And the reason why is because the iron that sharpens iron as one man does another, there's no greater friction. I, I don't know about you, but, but the greatest friction I've had in life in a consistent manner, uh, one, in my relationship with my wife, she definitely sharpens me a lot, right? I mean, there's sparks fly once in a while. Some of your marriage is the same way, and sparks fly the other way. And so, you know, we get both edges of that bad boy sharpened up. But my children, that, that back and forth that goes on, and by the way, that there's times that I'm trying to get them to do the right thing and trying to communicate those things to them, and I end up in the own, the own error of my humanity to where, you know, what I said is we, we, we tend to resort back to that um, why, 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 and then I resort to the because I, they want to know why, and I, I give them the what, period. That's the way it is, and that's what you're going to do. But why? It doesn't matter why, because I told you to do it. Reality is I'm not training my child to govern themselves. I'm not training my child to manage their own life. What I'm doing is I'm setting them up to always look to me. That doesn't train for adulthood, does it? So every parent's in this challenge that, that basically as you are getting to the heart of your child and you're establishing these things, as you challenge them as a parent, you're not the friend, you're the parent, but as you do that, you've got to remember this, that, that, that there's that transition in those years that, that I'm bringing them to that place of being a peer, even though they're my child. And as a child, when I direct them, I'm actually trying to give them the whys of life so that there is a point when I'm interacting with my child and the words that come out of my child's mouth actually come back as it would be a peer. They'll always be my kid. It's like Wade will always be Angie and I's baby. And he doesn't like, it's like, oh, you're my baby. It's like, don't do that, right? 
But when we converse, there's moments we converse and, and there's this adult interaction that takes place and there's things that you see like there's, there's a purehood there. There's, there's, there's a pure element to where your children become. Let me say that's every parent's responsibility to help their children become their peer. And every child's responsibility to listen to your parents, listen to their guidance. And look, every once in a while they're still going to be because I said so. But make the appeal as you do what they said so make the appeal would you help me to understand why because i want to know my responsibility with this as i get older not just looking to you to tell me what to do my whole life is that making sense to everyone parents i know that's a challenge and if you got kids sitting in here with you it's like stop telling my kid that um but we we know our children need to grow up and we help them grow up by teaching them the why not just the what um so challenge them, encouraging them, encouraging them. Look, in, you want to encourage them by praising their accomplishments. You want to praise their accomplishments, and you want to, to give them counsel uh, in their failures, if you will. Uh, making time for them. And I said, look, time is good, but quality is always better than quantity. Quantity is great, but if you have a lot of quantity and it has very little quality, it won't make an impact in your kids' lives. You've got to have the quality along with the quantity, but I will take quality every day over quantity. Lots of time, but it's not going anywhere. Number five was praying for them. Man, you want to get to the heart of your kid? Get to the heart of God on behalf of your child and let him grab a hold of them. And I, I trust this. When they have the conviction of the Holy Spirit working in their life where their relationship is concerned with their parent, there's, there's something about when, when God's saying, hey, you, don't, you shouldn't talk to your parent that way. There's something about when the Holy Spirit's like, hey, that's not the way you should behave towards your parent. That's not how you, you need to show them honor and respect and so on. And then they're all of a sudden like, it's, mom and dad aren't telling them. They've got this direct download from God that's saying, this is how you ought to honor your parents. Amen? And so, so that was kind of the, the first one, talking about getting to the heart of your child. And then again, last week, uh, I uh, opened up the idea of we need to deal with the competition in our children's life because there's a lot of competition for our ch children's attention there's a lot of uh, things in this life that's going to compete to get them to believe that way to go that way to do these things and so it's very important for us to know first and foremost and to acknowledge that there is a competition for our children's lives there is a competition with regard how do i know that paul the apostle said that we are in a race and that we're to run that race in such a manner as to win the prize. We have to understand that our children are, and it's like, well, I don't like that, that my life is referred to as a game. It's a metaphor. The point is, is that there is competition that's going on. The enemy, the world, wants to compete for your time. It wants to compete for what you believe. And in that con con uh, context, what happens is, is that you only have so much time to solidify some of those things in your children's life. Uh, train up a child in the way they should go. We'll see that again in a second. But train up a child in the way they should go when they grow old. And I said, they won't depart from it. And, and raising my kids, teaching them all the things of God, I found out that they would still deviate and they would do things. It's like, that is not how I've raised you. And that's where God got to hold me. Again, the whole counsel of God gives us balance to understand seasons of life and process that goes on where it comes to being parents, where it comes to being children, where it comes to being a family, all those things, God's word speaks to all of it. And God's correction to me where my child, my children, I should say, were concerned, 
in that I raised them in the things of God, but yet they would make bad decisions. And I'm like, what the world? This is not how you were raised. Is that God gets a hold of me and says, in what part of, of, of the passage and I say, that all have fallen short of the glory of God and sinned, did you think your children wouldn't fall into that same category, that they will fall short and they will sin? And that is why they come to the place they, they need a Savior. It's only at the point where we understand that we've all fallen short and sinned that if I'm a sinner, well, how do I, how do I get redeemed if I'm a sinner? Can I redeem myself? If I could redeem myself, couldn't I redeem others? Sure, but the reality is that I can't. I need a redeemer. I need a savior. That's why the Bible says the law is the schoolmaster. Say schoolmaster. The law is the schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. Well, how does it do that? Because it shows you every place that you're wrong. When you look into the mirror of God's word and the law, it's like, man, I don't measure up there. I don't measure up there. Hey, I'm doing that and that and that. But the reality is, is I've still fallen short where the law is concerned. And I can't do it. Jesus is the only one that did not fall short where the law was concerned. The Bible says that he didn't, didn't, did not, he said, well, Jesus said this. I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. For what purpose? He was the only one that could. He was perfect. Not only was he God in flesh, but he, remember, he was God in flesh. Tempted in every way. So here's Jesus, a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Oh, so cute, lying in a manger. But has to grow up, he has to grow up like other kids. You want an example of discipline in Jesus' life? Anybody? Are you with me? Are you enjoying this or not? <laughs> okay, you're locked in then, hopefully. You're with me though, amen? All right. An example of discipline in Jesus' life as a little kid. Can anybody think of one? 12 years old. 12 years old, they're at the temple. They, they've gone because it's the Passover, time of the Passover. So they've gone to, to follow the customs, as it were, set by the law. They're going to bring their uh, lamb without spot or blemish, and they're going to offer that during the time of the Passover. Understand, this time of the Passover is not when Jesus is 33 and going to the cross. Because we know he's back in Jerusalem at the time where he goes to the cross, correct? Amen? Let the learned in the house say amen. I just need to know you're tracking with me. And so, so here he is at 12 years old. They've gone back for this time. All the family's there. Everybody's hanging out. Hey, how you doing, Bartholomew? I'm doing pretty good, you know, Festus, you know. It's, they're having a good old time. Time comes where Passover's over and mom and dad's packing everything up. You ever been on a road trip? Come on. And you're packing everything up, right? And you, you pack up all the stuff and then you pack up all the kids and then you head out and you're going home. And so they packed everything up, and they're heading out, and they're going home, and they get, you know, quite a ways down the road, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, where's Jesus at? I don't know. I thought you got him. Anybody ever left their kids? I remember one time Wade was up here. He was playing back in the children's church, and, you know, as Angie and I are, we're doing different things at the end of service, and I took off, and, and she took off, and she thought I had gotten Wade, and I thought she got Wade, and we're at home, and, and she comes in, and I'm like, Hey, you know, a few minutes went by. It's like, where's Wade at? I don't know. Didn't you bring him home? No, I didn't bring him home. You didn't? No. Oh, in the car, up to the church, come in. Wade's oblivious. He's just back there still playing. <laughs> but this was that one of those moments for Jesus. You know, Joseph and Mary were not perfect parents. Doesn't that make you feel a little more comfortable? The parents of God were not perfect. 
They get in there. They're looking around everywhere. The Bible says that they went among their kinfolk that lived in Jerusalem. They lived in the area, I guess. They went among their kinfolk. You know, most people look for Jesus in their life among their kinfolk. They look among family. But you'll always find Jesus about his father's business. You'll always find Jesus at the center of the father's business. You're not going to find him in tradition and religion. You're going to find Jesus about the Father's business. That's why the word's so important. And so what happens? They show up at the temple, and here's Jesus speaking to Pharisees and Sadducees, and he's sharing the word of God with Pharisees and Sadducees. The Bible says the Pharisees and Sadducees were astounded. They, they were literally bewildered at where did this young man get such wisdom? He's able to quote the scripture. He's able to declare that. Now understand, this is the time of, I believe it's called the bar mitzvah, Jesus turning 12. He's becoming a man. That's another part of what was going on there for him. Um, long story short, um, the parents look at Jesus, where have you been? Jesus turns to him and gives them that. Now, this is a tweener. Jesus is 12 years old. He's a tweener now. This is when you as parents start to notice your kids like, did they just mouth off to me? Right? You're like, what happened to that sweet little child I was raising, right? And this is, they say, Jesus, where have you been? And he's like, did you not know I'd be about my father's business? Now, he didn't say it arrogant, I'm sure. Did you not know that I would be about my father's business? And all I know is Daddy Joseph must have said, get your little about your father's business in the cart. We're going home. It's like, Joseph didn't say that. That's not in the Bible. All I know is Jesus got grounded, and he got grounded for a long, long time. How do you know that? Because he doesn't, you don't see him again until he's 30 years old. <laughs> I mean, man. Now, now, the Bible does tell us that actually he went home. You know what he did? Watch. He was about his heavenly father's business, no question. But his heavenly father had established Joseph to be his earthly father. We know that, right? And the Bible says Jesus went back. What he did is he, he basically worked in his daddy's carpenter shop. Joseph's, Joseph was a carpenter, and he worked under his earthly father and learned about building things. The Bible says that he, he grew in favor with God and the people. It basically, he was in hiding, being prepared, growing up, becoming a peer, and then even more so, stepping into his destiny, all that God intended for him to do to make an impact, and, and an impact he made, right? He made a huge impact because he was willing to go through the process. Young people... I encourage you, go through your process. Know what it is to honor your mother and father, and God will work in your life. Amen. So um, all of that said, to understand that there is competition for your children. There's a competition for their time. There's a competition for um, how they're going to live their life, where they're going to live their life, and what they're going to do. And so last week I shared about in recognizing the competition, we have to recognize that the competition are false gods, false ideas, and false doctrine. Now, on your outline today, all that's filled in for you because I covered it last week, and it gives you the scriptural references uh, for those three points under that. That's false gods, false ideas, and false doctrine. If you can help them to understand what that looks like and to know what, what, what true, the true, the one true God, what it looks like to have a relationship with him, to allow his ideas to permeate their being and and all that they think, 
and, and to know what true doctrine is. In other words, true teaching. To be in the Word of God and to learn true teaching, then here's what you're doing as a parent. B, we are to instill a biblical belief system in your children. Instill a biblical belief children, system in your children. If you want to deal with the competition and you want to deal with it right, instill a biblical belief system in your children. One, it gives them clear direction. There's nothing worse than a directionless person, but, but even where it comes to a child, they don't know life, they've not lived enough of life, and they don't know where they're going. They need clear direction, and a biblical belief system will give them clear direction. Proverbs 22.6, we've said it so many times in this series, train up a child in the way direction he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Get that direction set in there, the direction of God, get it set in their life early so that as they grow old, although they'll have to, to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling unto God, they're going to make those mistakes, but they'll also have the understanding that even though they make mistakes, they can get right back to God, and God will help get them right back on course, amen? Two, it keeps them from deception. It keeps them from deception. Listen to this in 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 15. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I uh, was persecuted in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, and everyone, say me, everyone, that includes you. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters, say competition, evil people and imposters will flourish. We see them flourishing in our society today, and, and we can lose heart at that, but we need to recognize that Paul said these things are going to happen, and watch this, they will flourish. They will deceive others and, and, and will be uh, themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. Now that's a reference we'll see in a moment. That's a reference back to Timothy's mom and grandma. Instilling the word of God in him from a very young age. And when we understand that, what happens is, is that it, that instilling of those things in him, Paul is pointing to that and saying, Timothy, remain faithful to these things. Stay focused on these things because what they'll do is they'll keep you on course in the midst of persecution. They'll keep you on, and you will be persecuted for your faith. Come on, young people that are in school today, come on now. If you talk about the things of God or you refer to the Bible as being something you can follow, instructions or, or training that you can follow, people call you a fool. Now, you take the Bible seriously? You believe that stuff? They see it uh, just as uh, Greek mythology, if you will, is not real, it's mythology. They see the Bible as a myth. The Bible is not a myth. The Bible is the truth that will set you free. And if you declare that, then you're going to suffer persecution in the society we live in today. And I I'm telling you, kids that are on college campuses or in high schools or whatever it may be, they are going to suffer persecution if they hold true to the word of God. And so in that, just like Timothy is being encouraged, what, what is Paul pointing to to say, look, if you're going to live godly, you're going to suffer persecution. We tend to think that what well, was different, it was easier for them back in that. You understand that they were literally stoned to death. They, they, you know, they're drug out into the streets. Paul was 
left for dead, you know, how many times? Because of preaching the gospel, because of believing what God's word was, Paul was persecuted. But he challenges Timothy to hold on to what he was taught. Listen to this. You can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the holy scriptures from what? From childhood. From childhood. That's how important it is for us to raise our kids that way. Okay, C here. Have faith that God will be with them. Once you've instilled those things, have faith. Have faith that God will be with them and will carry them on in life in the ways that you have trained them. That biblical belief system that you've instilled in them. Number one, trust that God is determined to do what he promises. Is God, does the Bible say God is slack in his promises or God is not slack in his promises? He doesn't slack where his promises are concerned. He performs his promises we have to have faith and trust that God will do that. Isaiah 55, 11 says this. So it is, this is God declaring. So it is when I declare something, my word will go out and not return to me empty. But it will do what I wanted. It will accomplish what I have determined. Trust that God is determined. God is determined to do what he promises in your children's lives. Two, Trust what God's word can do in your children's life. Trust what God's word can do in your child's life. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. This is picking up where we were talking about Timothy before with his grandma and grandma, grandma, mom and grandma. And it says this, you have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood. And they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture, say all scripture. All scripture, not some scripture, but all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Here, here's what that really boils down to where, where it comes that you can trust, you can trust God's word in your child's life. That if you instill the word of God in your child's life, here's the Holy Spirit moves on what? The word of God. Do you remember, do you remember, we could even say the purpose of God. We'll do it this way. Take you back to creation. Um, anybody know that in creation from God made Adam from what? From the earth, Right? From dust you came, and to dust you'll go. Our bodies will decay. When we die, these bodies decay. Our soul goes on. Our spirit, uh, if we've been born again, we've been made alive in Christ, goes on. When you understand that the spirit of God in the beginning, the earth was without form and void. And the spirit of God hovered over the face, right, of the earth. Correct? Over the face of the waters. Anybody ever heard... The scripture that refers to the washing of the water of the word. The, the word is referred to oftentimes as water. What, what we need to see is that the spirit of God will hover over you. You've been made from earth. He will hover over you. And this is what happens. Spirit of God is hovering. And then all of a sudden, God says, he declares, his word won't return to him void, right? He declares, he says, let there be, anyone? And there was what? Light. Let the earth, right? appear right from the waters and so all of a sudden earth starts to come from the waters now see 
as I talk about this, if you've been taught evolution, what happens is, is your mind starts to go to, did it really happen that way? Is God's word true or not? Did God create everything or not? We either accept that God's word is true and every man, that he's true and every man a liar, or what happens is, is if we interject this thing, well, it could have happened that way, I don't know. Scientists say, well, scientists are working from where they're at. <laughs> Anybody hear about new universes that, that have been just discovered and they talk about how the light and so on, and it just keeps going and going and going and going. Now, in other words, you know, they're at a fixed point looking that way and at a fixed point looking back. God was, he is, and he is to come, is what the word of God declares. When you understand that, that if the word of God is in your child, the word of God is the language of God's spirit. If you want the spirit of God to speak, if you want the spirit of God to move, on your child's life, you've got to get the word of God in your child so that the Holy Spirit is experienced, the power of God is experienced because the word is alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, even dividing asunder, so spirit from body separates joints from marrow. Basically, when, when the word of God speaks into you, it's not just logos words written, but they become living words, rhema which can only happen by the Spirit of God moving on it, the Spirit of God speaking to them, then when it moves to that point, what happens is, is your child moves from a place of it just being words that were spoken to them to be words that are living in them. And when those words are living on the inside of them, let me tell you, parent, you don't have to do as much work. You don't have to tell them what to do. Why? Because the Spirit of God will lead and guide them. When the Spirit of God is leading and guiding your child, you know, there, there's no greater hope. Now, uh, in that, uh, one of the things that I've shared um, a number of times is kind of like with my son Wade, you know, he got this whole tattoo sleeve. I'm like, man, I, I wouldn't advise you to do that. Uh, okay, not against tattoos, whatever, you know. But I just wouldn't advise you to do that. And so he and I, you know that interaction you have with your child where it's like, I just don't think that's a good idea, man, you know. And he thinks it's a really good idea. And so do a lot of other people. That's fine. I, he's my son. I'm telling him what I think, you know. And so he gets his whole sleeve. And the thing is, is when I see the sleeve coming out, the reality is this. It's like, so he gets a, a full lion up here. Lion of the tribe of Judah. A lamb on his bicep. A dove on the inside, you know, kind of like the dove, rays of sunshine, like the dove coming out. Uh, down here, he's, he's got the crown of thorns and, and the, the nails. Around his wrist, he's got this wrist tat. I don't know what they call them, but it's, it's, it's basically an olive garden. You know, and I'm looking at his arm. We're talking one day. And I say, you know, I don't, I don't like that you did that just simply because, you know, um, I think from the professional standpoint, you know, you go into the professional world, okay, you walk in and, you know, you think about your kid's future and security and so on. And like, can you get a really good job if you're walking in with tats down? You know, dad, times have changed. I'm like, all right, you know, and this is officially when you know as a parent, I have gotten old. But the, the crazy thing about it is, is everything running down that arm is a declaration of the word of God. In a culture that he lives in and becomes 
you know, conversation starters and a witness. And I said to him, I said, you understand, um, you've made it very hard to live a life of sin. <laughs> he was like, what? And I'm like, you've made it very hard for yourself to live a life of sin. And he goes, what do you mean? I'm like, because your arm <laughs> is a declaration of the gospel from Genesis to Revelation. <laughs> and frankly, everything about it has something to do with Jesus and all that he's done. Even the olive, it, it had everything to do with the Garden of Gethsemane is why, you know, the olive trees. It's like an olive, a garden of olive trees basically around his wrist. And I said, here's the thing I would say. You did not have to get all of that to preach the gospel, but you certainly set yourself up to where you better be preaching the gospel, right? <laughs> all right, uh, let me move on. Um, it, so in this, what, what I would say is that watching my kids come back and just like this exhorts in Timothy that the word of God teaches it corrects it instructs it does all of those things that I've watched my kids as they become adults that they're letting the word of God do that and I don't have to say those things so much to my kids anymore we'll have discussions about certain things or there may be something I don't agree with but it's like uh, hey you know the Bible yeah I know the Bible says this okay I just you know peer does that make sense and, and we're meant in the body of Christ to hold one another accountable as the family of God. And it's like when my kids come into that, that stage of things. Interesting enough, some of the people they built relationships over the years in the body of Christ, um, those are people they'll call up. When they're going through hard times, they'll call those mentors up a lot of times. And they say, hey, you know, this has gone on or that. And, and sometimes those mentors are like, hey, you know, you need to talk to your dad about that. And I'll get a call from my kid, not because they called me necessarily, but because... Someone that they've known in the body of Christ said to them, this is something you should talk to your dad about or something you should talk to your mom about. And then my kids end up calling me. Why? Because they've, they've surrounded themselves with others who speak the word of God so that they can live their life for God. I want to say that we're in a competition and Paul speaks to that race and we need to make sure that we set our kids up for the, for the victory in their life. It was for freedom that Jesus set us free. He's called us to be overcomers, to basically win the victory. And the word of God is the greatest hope that we can give our kids to have victory in life. Now, having said that, there is the written, the instructed, the declared word of God. But then there's the word living in front of somebody as an example. Parents, you are that example. Listen to this as some bonus points on how you can set your kids up to win where it comes to defeating that competition. As a parent, we need to model godly values. First one, we need to model godly values to our children. The second one, be confident yet humble with your children. Be confident when you talk about direction for life. Be confident when you have moments where you need to discipline them, but make sure that it's done in a spirit of humility. Remember this. You know, there was never really a time that Jesus, the Bible says he didn't raise his voice. We know in the temple when the money changers are there and basically what they're doing is they're selling things for sacrifice. It didn't have to do with giving. It had to do with profiting. And Jesus was driving that out because his house would be known as, his father's house would be known as a house of prayer. That's the only time we really see Jesus manifesting in a sense, you know, uh, indignation towards people the pharisees and sadducees uh, oftentimes he would you know he was very corrective with them 
But if you look at the life of Jesus, there was a meekness and there was a humility about him that, that he could speak hard things to people and they could actually receive it. We need to be able to speak the hard things to our kids, but in such a manner that they're able to receive it. I believe that confidence and humility will give them security when there's correction. Third thing, use real-time experiences to have the important conversations. When things are happening, it's a great time not to preach to your kids, but it's a great time to have a conversation. Preaching is very different from a conversation. Conversations come with questions. Can you, can you tell me why you feel that way? See, I want, I want to say this to you. There, there's a fear that can come, especially if a parent's wanting to raise their kid in, in godly things. When your kid starts to question, and I remember, I can't remember how Wade was when, you know, because we're raising them and they're singing Jesus loves me and all that. And one day Wade's like, I love the devil. You know, and as a parent, right, you're like, whoa, no, 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 no. <laughs> well, why can't the devil be loved? I thought God loves everybody. And you're like, oh, snap, where do I go with this? You know? uh, when, it, when a kid confounds you, you know, and you're going, okay, I've got to find something here. <laughs> you know, it's not that, the God didn't, that God did not have a love for Lucifer as an angel. It's that Lucifer did not have a love for God and had no willingness to be like God. You know, you, so you allow that. Don't freak out. I mean, there's moments you can freak out when your kids are saying things or they don't believe the way you do or whatever. That's not a time to freak out. It's a time to be confident and humble and have a real conversation with your child. And real conversations always allow questions. Number four, read the Bible with your children. If you don't point them to it, they're more than likely not going to go to it themselves. Number six, am I going too fast? No? Good. Number six, let them take responsibility and reward for their actions. Uh, sometimes as parents, we don't have a problem letting our children have the rewards for their actions, but oftentimes we try to, try to alleviate any stresses they might have, you know, where it comes to actions you know, that lead to a response. Look, grace is wonderful, but grace doesn't mean there isn't consequence at times in our life, correct? And our kids need to know that there are consequences for decisions. That's how they grow up. Uh, any of you parents, you know, have consequence? Look, Angie and I decided to have a family, right? How, how many of you know before you have a family, people can tell you like, man, they're expensive, you know, this is difficult, that's going to be hard, blah, blah, you know, and you think, well, I don't care, you know, because the joy that you see and it's exciting and, and you have the kids and then you have the kids and then it's like, dear God, there's no sleep. <laughs> Somebody said that would be the case. <laughs> oh my gosh, man, diapers cost this formula. You know, it's like, I don't have any money for me anymore. You know, so there are consequences with decisions. Now, I'm thankful that Angie and I were willing to walk in the midst of the consequences for those decisions because having our family is the greatest thing that we've ever done in our life. Kids learn that from smaller things, and it's important to learn those smaller things so that they grow again into adults and they can handle the bigger things that come. That's why we have safe, safe spaces on our campuses. That's why we have all the offense that can go on over the littlest stupid things. People have such thin skin nowadays. All of those things are a result of basically trying to remove every obstacle you ever wonder why they're, you know, that as kids, kids get colds and they, anybody know why that happens? It's explained as they need to develop what? 
an immune system. Our children also need an immune system where it comes to people's words and, and, and hate and anger and all those. They need to be able to be a different person even in the midst of that environment. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of different, in the midst of the competition, they need to be able to hold their own. And the only way they can do that is that they learn responsibility and they take responsibility. Can you say amen? Um, so uh, teach them to follow through. Teach them to follow through. They, they sign up for a sport or they do something. It's like, oh, this is too hard. I don't want to do it. You signed up for it. You made the commitment. Keep your word. You follow through. That's another thing in our society today. There's just no follow through. People do not follow through. And we need to raise our kids to do differently. Do you know that um, the Bible says that you swear to your own hurt? Right? And let your yes be yes and your no, no. The reason why it says that is so that our word is dependable. God's word is dependable. What he says is. Our word needs to be dependable and we need to raise our kids to be able to follow through with what they say and what they do. Um, eight, teach them to serve in some capacity. Teach them to give back. Teach them to do, things for, do something for others without any expectation of something in return. It will, trust me, it will make them better where it comes to compassion. It'll make them better where it comes to mercy. It'll make them better where it comes to grace in people's lives. Judgment won't come so easy for them when they serve others and they see the plight of others and they move to help with that. Uh, number nine, monitor, this is important, monitor TV, internet, and social media. Parents, amen? If you gotta take their phone, remember, it's your phone. It's your house, you know, kids right now are like, oh, shut up, pastor. Uh, here's the deal, my kids had a room in my home. Yeah, it's your room, it's in my home. You know, everyone's like, this is my room. You can't go through my stuff. Get out. Da-da. You know, all that's going down. I'm like, so how much did you pay on the mortgage last month? <laughs> well, I, Dad, I don't, I mean, you're supposed to take care of me on that. Right, I do. I'm taking care of you. you. You got a bed. You got covers. You got mattress. You got dressers. You got clothes. You got, you got it all, man. But it still belongs to me. And I'll give it all to you as an inheritance one day. As long as you do what's honorable. See, we have an inheritance in the Lord, but that inheritance is found in Christ. We don't say, hey, I'm getting this inheritance whether I come to Christ or not. Uh, sorry, no, you don't. Why? Because all of eternity is God's house. And, you know, and quote, unquote, we get a mansion in all of eternity. It's not, you know, we're going to have a place in eternity, but that place is in Christ. It's not outside of Christ. You can't have it unless you come in. You're a part of. And, and parents, you've got to hold that line where your kids are concerned and don't be so concerned about what they think about you because you're not their friend, you're their parent. Kids, I love you. I had to say it. You can be mad at me. And, you know, I'll take you out for an ice cream sometime, but you need parents in your life that are going to guide you the direction you need to go and not the direction you necessarily want to go. Number 10, don't allow them to spend time with bad company. Some of the greatest challenges uh, in raising my kids was when other influences would come in their life, people who didn't hold the same values, and all of a sudden I'd see my kids, this is not my kid, what is going on? But make sure that you intervene way before your kid becomes the bad company. Come on now. Set with too many parents. Well, my kid's a good kid, it's just that they were hanging around these other bad kids and that's why they did what they did. 
You let them hang around long enough to become the bad kid. Don't let them hang around. People, now, what does that mean? You're in the world, but you're not meant to be of the world. Come out from among them and be separate. Well, how do we evangelize people? If, well, you're not like them to evangelize them. I promise you that. If you become like them, what change, what hope, what, what grace, what love are you offering them if you're like them? If, if Jesus said this, if the salt, you're the salt of the earth, and if the salt loses its flavor, savor, he says in there, but savory, a savory flavor. If the salt loses its savor, what's it good for? It's only good to be thrown out on the ground, trodden underfoot. Basically, it's only good enough to be used as snow melt. That's what it's good for. You can't eat it on your food anymore. It doesn't taste, it doesn't taste any different. And believers are to taste different. The things we speak, the things we do, the way we are, is meant to be different than the world. There is a competition for our children. There's a competition that they would be like the world. But Jesus challenges us to raise our kids in a way that they're different from the world and they stand out. And sometimes that can be scary as a parent because they become a target of others. Paul addressed that. They're going to suffer persecution, but also be the parent that helps them understand how to navigate, live for God, walk for God in the midst of that persecution and deal with their competition by being faithful to God. Amen? Parents, if you do these things, if you live these things, there's a greater hope that your kids are going to live them. If you're the example, that's the bonus that helps you win where it comes to the competition is that you're living what you're asking your children to do. If you're asking them to do something that you're not living, there's very little chance, very little chance that they'll do it because of your influence. They could do it because of God's intervention and God's sovereignty working in their life, no question about it. But I believe God, when he gave us our children, he made us stewards so that we would be an example for them to follow that would cause them to know how to approach God, how to come to God, and know that he is and receive from him more than we've ever had in, in our own life as parents because we've set them up with a, a solid foundation and they're able to walk that out and live that out much better than we did ourselves. Because if we've removed obstacles, we've removed the obstacles of things that, that cause them to think different than what the word of God teaches. The bottom line, when it comes to dealing with the competition, nothing works better than a great relationship with God and your children. So cultivate it every day. You have a good relationship with God, have a good relationship with your children, and the things that you speak into their lives, they'll probably stick just a little bit more. Amen? As I finish up today, I want to give you uh, some letters that were written to pastors from children. <laughs> and, uh, well, they're short. They're like one sentence, you know questions and thoughts from kids to to uh, pastors as they've said and listened to messages or whatever but it's just to say your kids are listening and they're asking questions they want to know set them up so that they can know and understand uh, this one goes uh, dear pastor please say in your sermon peter peterson has been a good boy all week i am peter peterson Dear Pastor, I know God loves everybody, but he never met my sister. You're sincerely Arnold. I'm sorry I can't leave uh, more money in the plate, but my father didn't give me a raise in my allowance. Could you have a sermon about a raise on your children's allowance? <laughs> I would like to go to heaven someday because I know my brother won't be there. 
Is this, but look, as simple as these things are, is this not, even as adults, don't we kind of think this way? <laughs> Please say a prayer for our little league team. We need God's help or a new pitcher. <laughs> My father says I should learn the Ten Commandments, but I don't think I want to because we have enough rules in the house already. My father should be a minister. Every day he gives, gives us a sermon about something. Hmm. So your children are watching. I want to ask you this question as I close today. What are they learning? Your children are watching. What are they learning? And I'm not just talking about the wee little children. I'm talking about all of our children. See, all my kids are adults now. But you know what? They're still, right? They still talk to us. They're still watching. They're still observing because as I said before, how many of you are still making mistakes and trying to figure it out? How many of you still, you know, I, I said to Angie the other day, I'm, I'm at this stage, I turned 47, my kids are raised, I'm a grandpa, and now I'm going to have a granddaughter, thank God. Thank you, Jeremiah and Danielle, too. <laughs> Here's the thing about it. My dad is not in my life. You know, there's, I have men in my life that I can talk to. How many of you know how how much it means to you to have your parents in your life. There are times, I say to Angie all the time, it's like, I, I really wish my dad was the kind of person or that he was in a place to where I could pick up the phone and call him and say, hey, Dad, what do you, what do you think? You know that person that uh, it, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. See, I know my, for my children, they could mess up, they could do whatever, someone else can be mad at them or discard them or not want them in their life anymore, but they're my children and they're always going to be my children. And not, that, not to have that kind of father where that's, that's there, to be able to call upon that at times in your life, it, there, it just leaves that, like, man, I, I really wish I had what I have with my own kids. And the thing I do is I come to that point and I'm just like, all right, and, and it sounds bad, sorry to be teary with you, I just had this conversation with you the other day. I said, it sucks not to be able to just call your dad up and say, hey, hey, dad. And then I find myself, and sometimes I'm like, God, I'm sorry <laughs> that I treat you kind of second rate. Because <laughs> then I find myself, you know, because I say stuff to Angie, she's like, stop being, you know, stop pitying yourself. I'm like, dang, I'm just saying I want a dad, you know. <laughs> but she helped snap me out of that, and I have to go back to that place, and I'm like, okay, God. I love you, and sorry to, like, treat you second rate, but to have a dad with flesh on, to hug him, to, to have that, I don't know what it's like. I don't know what it's like. And being in that place, I challenge every person in this room, if you got it, cherish it. Don't treat it as if it's common, because there are a lot of people that don't have that. And I am thankful to God that he came and he, he, through his word and through relationship with him, he gave me something I didn't have so that I could be what I want to my own family. Is that making sense to everyone? We have, we have responsibility to our children to help them to know their heavenly father, to know what it is to live for him with their whole heart, their whole mind, with all their soul, with all their heart, with all their strength, that they're to love the Lord their God and to love their neighbor as themselves. 
Our society needs a whole lot more of that, wouldn't you say? Watching everything going on, the sad thing is, is if we could just get to the golden rule, right? If we could just go to Jesus' commands, love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, love our neighbor as ourselves, we'd be a whole lot better as a society. And we used to believe that in our nation. And I'd say if we've lost it, the reality is, is we've allowed other people to teach our children. And they've been raised by other people, so this is my last admonition as you stand today so I can pray for you. My last admonition is don't believe that anyone else can raise your children better than you. Don't believe the schools can do better in your children's life. Yes, they need an education, but don't believe that someone else can do a better job than you in your children's life. Now, I want you to know that you can't do that great job without God in your life, but don't believe that someone else can do a better job. How do I know that? Because God gave them to you. God gave them to you. You're their steward. You're the one that cares for them, loves them, and again, would sacrifice yourself for your children. So don't believe that, but where you feel like you may need help, I just challenge you to go to the Word of God and seek His counsel on what it is, because I know this, I didn't know how to raise my children. I didn't know how to be a father, didn't know how to be a husband, but as I read the Word of God, what it did is it instructed me in all of those things, how to be with my children. And I just challenge all of us, as believers, the church needs to rise church has got to rise in america and you know what we've got to live it out we've got to speak the gospel we've got to live the gospel so that others can be influenced by it so that others lives can be transformed and changed by it can you say amen let me pray for you this morning heavenly father i thank you so so much that you love us god that you cherish us that you are as we sang today you are a good good father it's just because it's who you are and Father, the love that you have uh, for us can cause us, Lord, to reflect the same things that you reflect with our own children. So Lord, I, I pray for families in this room today, for moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, for the, the Father, the sons and daughters in this room. I pray for every person, Lord, that, that they would know first and foremost your love for them. That God, they could come to a place of accepting Lord, that, that your ways are better than our ways. Your ways are higher than our ways. And that God would seek your counsel by your word where it comes to being parents, where it comes to being sons and daughters. And that, Lord, as they do, they begin to experience peace and harmony. God, joy. Father, a clarity of direction. Father God, an absence of deception. Lord, where their households are concerned. That the grace of God and the love of Christ would be manifest in every home, Lord God, that's represented in this room. Those that are members of Gateway Church and aren't here today, Father, through our greater community throughout Colorado Springs, that your spirit would move. God, when I think about the fact, of, uh, Lord, that Colorado Springs has one of the highest domestic violence rates in, in America. God, I'm praying your Holy Spirit would move through our city. That we as believers, as we embrace these things and live these things, that, Father, we also would intercede and pray, Father, for our city. The child abuse, Father God, spousal abuse, that those things would, Father, begin to dissipate. Lord, they would cease in Jesus' name. And that people would know the freedom and the love of Christ as you meant it to be as you intended it to be, as you declared it to be, and Lord, that your word would not return to you void. 
that it would accomplish, as we live it as an example for others, that it would accomplish exactly what you sent it out for. In Jesus' mighty name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Enjoy your week.